The Set the Pace podcast is brought to you by New Balance, the official apparel and footwear partner of New York Roadrunners and the TCS New York City Marathon. You know, one of my favorite things about marathoners is that we're not afraid to show off the fact that we run marathons. We love to let people know we love to go 26.2. And if you haven't already, you should head to newbalance.com to check out this year's official TCS New York City Marathon collection. And if you're a New Yorker out there, you can actually come check out the collection in person or even take a pair of New Balance shoes out for a test run at the New York Roadrunners Run Center, which is located at 57th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. We got tons of new colors and fits and everything from the official jacket to my go-to daily trainer, the Fresh Foam 1080 V13, which are available for sale on October the 13th. You know, one of my favorite things about my job as CEO of New York Roadrunners is that running shoes and trainers are appropriate attire pretty much anywhere I go. So I want to thank New Balance for hooking me up with a pair of those early. They're super comfortable and lightweight, which is exactly what I'm looking for. And my favorite part is that they feature the marathon logo and the color. So thank you, New Balance, for letting my New Balance gear do the talking for me. Also, the full line will be available race week right before the TCS New York City Marathon at the Expo at the Javits Center. So check it out. Thank you, New York. Today, we're reminded of the power of community and the power of coming together. Athletes, on your mark. The first woman to finish for the second straight year here in the New York City Marathon is Mickey Gorman, a smiling Mickey Gorman, and why not? 2.29.30, the time for Ritterbikes. Look at the emotion of Shalane Flanagan as she comes to the line, pointing to his chest, pointing to the USA. He so proudly wears across his chest. A great day for Mel Kapleski. Hello and welcome to another episode of Set the Pace, presented by New Balance, the official podcast of New York Roadrunners. Here we are inside of a month from the New York City Marathon. Couldn't be more excited to have you with us. I'm Rob Similcare, the CEO of New York Roadrunners, joined, as always, by 2009 New York City champion Meb Kofleski. And it's great to have you here. We got a great episode today, a conversation a little bit later with one of the most inspirational people in the sport of running, Allie Feller. You may know her from Allie on the Run, her incredibly popular running podcast. Um, she's just beloved around the world of running. Actually just had a chance to spend some time with her out in Chicago. It was great to see her. And we have a great conversation about how she's been so successful as a podcaster and, of course, uh, what she's been going through this year, a battle with cancer that she's been going through and doing incredibly well through that battle. Was happy to see her doing well in Chicago. So that conversation is coming right up. But Meb, it's great to have you here. And boy, the big story in the world of running coming out of this past weekend was Chicago, of course, the Chicago Marathon, Bank of America Chicago Marathon. Everybody knows it's a fast course, Meb, and it was as fast as ever this time around, the 45th running of that marathon, and the world record fell. Kenya's Kelvin Kiptum running two hours and 35 seconds, Meb, shattering Elliot Kipchoge's previous world record of 201.19, and this is just an incredible story, Meb. This young Kenyan, only 23 years old, is just taking the world by storm, and he's got that two-hour mark in his crosshairs. 
Rob, it's great to be back here with you. And the fall marathon is here and strong. And Chicago lived up to the standards of fast time. And Kevin Kiptum just ran phenomenal. He was eyeing for Dennis Kamado's course record, 203.45. But he downplayed himself. Under promise, over deliver. And he went <laughs> for uh, Elia Kipchoge's record of 201.09 and he to run for him 23 years old to run two hours and 35 seconds literally 36 seconds away from running two hours it's just incredible he's a new phenomenon he's been very consistent i mean to run his first marathon in 201.53 and four months later to 0125 and now to run two flat and 35 seconds just incredible patient He's he's young but very patient runner, and he executed his plans really well. It was just fascinating to watch and hear about it. He shattered Kipchoge's world record, which was set in Berlin by 34 seconds. He ran the second half of that marathon, Meb, in 59:47. So there you see he can maintain that sub two hour pace for a half marathon. And gosh, Meb, with tw- with a 23 year old doing things like this, it's only a matter of time, it would seem, before he gets under two hours. Rob, been part, a student of the sport for a long time, you know, transition a mile to the 5K, to the 10K, to the half marathon, and all men's sport used to be the marathon, see what she got left in those legs. But for him, I don't know how long he has been running, whether he's been running five years or four years, but in just one year, he shocked the world, and he's just just incredible to be 23 years of age. Pe- most people are focusing in the 5K, 10K, but this guy's doing the marathon. You know, uh, Mike Gibbs last year won the Worlds at 20 in 2015, I believe, at the World Championship when he was 19. So a lot of people are coming to the sport early, and obviously with the super shoes and talent and science is incredible. It's a great time to be a marathoner at this time. How old were you when you ran your first marathon, Meb? Rob, I was 27 years old <laughs> when I did my first marathon. And I know as soon as it happened yesterday, would you like to, you know, I won the silver medal when I was 29. So I was late in my career, but this guy is going to have a phenomenal longevity and career if he plays it smart because he got what he, the world record at 23. And it's just mind boggling. And uh, he just got to stay healthy and consistent and keep him hungry to do Chasing that two hours now, I'm pretty sure it's going to keep him and what's going to keep him going after that, we will see. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, right? You just didn't see athletes coming to the marathon this young before he has come. He has come strong. I was in London when he won there, and I mean, there wasn't another soul in sight of him at the finish line. He was you know, really running his own race, and uh, he turns around and does even better in Chicago. You know, he's consistent. I mean, to be that young and to be consistent, most people back in the days used to say, you only have one marathon in your legs, you know, is it going to be 208? And you got to wait another six months or a year or once in your lifetime. But this guy in less than 10 months have done it all. Um, And world record and consistent under 202, all of them. It's never heard of such a thing, but, you know, congratulations to him and his team for po- amazing performance. And, you know, I've, I'm good friends with uh, Ilya Kupchoge. I feel him, you know, he was a world record holder one day and he's a second Kenyan in, 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 a, in a short <laughs> time period. His, yeah, one. not even the fastest Kenyan, exactly. Do you think, Meb, I mean, Kipchoge is obviously, you know, getting older. Do, do you think he's going to look at this now as 
a challenge and an opportunity to try to raise his game? Or do you think he's just going to say, well, I got a 23-year-old, he is faster than me, and I guess we're just living in his world now? No, I think uh, Elia Kipchoge, you know, the Olympic now, imagine how do you select the Kenyan team for the Olympic Games? <laughs> That's a mamba. Who's the third person is going to be? You got to have those. So it's going to be a great showdown in Paris between them two. But I think he will keep them hungry because he just ran last year uh, within, within the world record. So he's in it. I think he's a competitor. And I would love to see a one-on-one doing with those guys because and I bet he'd be happy to pass on the torch to the next you know, follow Kenyan Kevin Kipton, but he was looking to inspire anybody and everybody in the world. And I think he has done that. Unbelievable. And he wasn't the only one running very, very fast in Chicago on the women's side. Sifan Hassan broke the women's course record, running the second fastest time in history. Remember, the women's world record was just set back in Berlin a couple of weeks ago, but Hassan won that uh, Chicago in two hours, 13 minutes, and 44 seconds, second fastest time ever for a woman in a marathon, uh, a, a, a regulation marathon. For the U.S. runners, uh, good showing as well. They didn't finish top five, but when you look at that next five, some really good showings. Connor Mance and Clayton Young both got under the Olympic qualifying standard of two hours, eight minutes, and 10 seconds. And Meb, you know what a big deal that is. Chicago was the place that you got under the Olympic qualifying standard for the first time as well. So great to see those two Americans accomplishing that objective. Absolutely. Congratulations to Connor Mintz and Clayton Young for relieving the U.S. because at one point there was a discussion, are we going to send just one person possibly or not having three? But by running under, under 208.10, now it's open and uh, in, down in Orlando in February is going to be a great show and to be able to just duke it out. And I like it always, always the past where you have to be top three, but now with the new standard, I'm glad they're under that. And then it's open for a great championship race uh, in Orlando. And Meb on the wheelchair side in Chicago, a really great rivalry now, really kind of forming between Catherine De Bruyne. She edged out Susanna Scaroni to break the Chicago course record with a time of one hour, 38 minutes, 44 seconds. And in the men's wheelchair division, it was Marcel Hug uh, setting a Chicago course record, another fast one, with the time of 122.37. So a lot of personal bests in Chicago, a lot of records. Speaking of personal bests, a lot of folks out there, just regular runners, were aiming to achieve their PRs, as we call them in Chicago. And PRs are such a big part of the mentality of your everyday runner. Uh, we're going to have a med minute today talking about personal records and how to approach them and how to think about them and also maybe how to not let them distract you or ruin your races because they can do that sometimes as well. So that minute coming up. But first, we are thrilled to be joined by Allie Feller. Our guest today on Set the Pace is a woman who really knows how to do a running podcast, the one and only Allie on the run, Allie Feller. You know her from the podcast, you know her from the blog, you know her from the Instagram. And at New York Roadrunners, we know her as on-air talent because she actually does work for us on a regular basis. Allie, it's great to have you. How are you? I'm pumped and always just love working with the team at Roadrunners and already excited for November. Allie, great, great to see you. It's kind of weird to be on this side because you know, usually that does the interviews, but we are so honored to have you. How's running been going for you? 
Oh, I would love to say that running is great. I am on a little hiatus from running right now, but I'll tell you, I'm crushing the power walking game. I'm really into walking right now. So uh, yeah, a bit of an unexpected summer for me, um, which, you know, we'll jump right in, kicked off. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I was at the Brooklyn half when yep. uh, it was the day before the Brooklyn half when I got my diagnosis and I I was a wreck that day. Uh, I don't know how well I hit it, but I mean, I was, you know, underneath my uh, long sleeve New Balance shirt with the Brooklyn half uh, logo on it proudly was bandages. I was fresh off getting biopsies the day before and I uh, knew I really wanted to be there. What else was I going to do? Sit at home and wait for my results. And so in between each interview that I did from the pre-party, I was frantically checking my little online portal to see if they had uploaded the results. So I was. I was a wreck. And it was important for me that day and that weekend to still be me, still be Allie Feller, Allie on the run. And I was with uh, former New York Roadrunners CEO, Mary Wittenberg. Yep. When I got the diagnosis oh, wow. uh, on my phone because I was frantically checking the portal the next day at breakfast and um, I was with her and I said, you know what, I'm going to go run this race and we're going to run it for fun and we're going to run it for joy, just knowing that the summer would now include some surgeries and the fall would include chemotherapy and there was a lot of unknown in my life, but that weekend I knew the one thing I could do was run and I did and it was a beautiful, magical day that I will cherish forever. And so, yeah, then summer just got weird. <laughs> so It did get weird, but there's, Ali, there's always a champion within us on how to handle adversity when it's shock observation, I would say, when it hits you right away. So how was that mentally for you to say, hey, I know I'm going through this. You know, how did running kind of help you or mental visualization allow you to say, I'm in the moment now. This is what I can control. This is what I cannot control. But how was that moment for you for, to tell us about it? Yeah, it was exactly that. It was, this is the thing that I can come back to that makes me who I am. And that was actually something that my radiologist told me after getting diagnosed when he, I forget if it was in the room or if he called me, but of course I'm in there getting my biopsy. Like there are needles in places you don't want needles. And I'm like, can I run the Brooklyn half this weekend? Like just priorities, maybe not where they needed to be. Uh, they're literally using words like carcinoma. And I'm like, okay, but I already registered. I just want to make sure. But it, he said, he was like, you're still you. This is a thing that is happening to you. This is not who you are. You're still you and you still need to do the things that make you you. And so I came back to that often. And between when I got that diagnosis and my first surgery, which was on July 3rd, I kept running. There was no reason not to. I wasn't, you know, I didn't feel sick. There was nothing wrong. There, there was something wrong, but I felt fine. And so running was very much the thing that kept me coming back to myself. And it was really important for me to keep doing that. So yeah, some days I would run and I would cry. And some days I would run and say, I want to try to run really fast today because that feels good. So it was a little different every day. And even looking back, it's kind of a blur, but running Running has always been that for me. It's always been a place and a thing that I can come back to. And I think that gets lost sometimes when we're injured or we're sick or running is taken from us a little bit. You can always come back to it. 
running's always going to be there. Races are always going to be there. And so that's been helpful for me to remember is I can come back to it. Running is our insurance. Run is our therapy. Run is raw. I mean, it is, you know, you go four miles, five miles, but it kind of puts perspective in the moment. You can't think always about the finish line of 10 miles when you're mile three. It's like, no, I can do this right now. I'm going to make the next mile. How is that for you to be able to just say, hey, this is a situation mentally, physically, and emotionally. And, you know, we are pure, but comfortable in our skin when we go running. But how was that change for you in that moment? You know, when you are out running, what's your mind game going on? Yeah, I think I've gotten better at this over the years, which thank goodness I have, or else I think things would be a lot harder right now, um, especially with my relationship with running is I have, I've just chilled out on the run. Uh, I've stopped obsessing over paces and uh, I was going to say in distance, but I am the person who will run up and down my driveway until my watch hits an even number. So I am still a little, you know, <laughs> particular in that way. Uh but yeah, I mean, even even the Brooklyn half, like that was not going to be a personal best day. That was not even going to be a let's try and run fast day. It was just a, a mental health day. I also am having an easier time with it because last year I ran a PR in the half marathon. And then in April, I ran a PR in the marathon. So I'm also going into this being like, I'm good. I just ran some PRs so I can chill out now. So I will admit that uh, having those checked off feels kind of good. That helps, I'm sure, to go into a little bit of a layoff, feeling good about where yeah. you are and knowing you will get back there. And I know you will get back to those yes. PRs. And so we, we all look forward to seeing that. Allie, I want to take a step back and just get to understand how you became Allie on the run. Um, you know, you and I really just met um, at that Brooklyn pre-party. Um, you had a chance to chat a little bit here and there, but I'm really curious to go way back and understand how this became who you are. You know, you weren't like a super competitive high school runner or anything like that. Oh God, no. You came to running like so many people come to running, you know, a little bit, you know, later as an adult, you know, with a job and a roommate and all that stuff. Why did you first run? Oh, because I couldn't afford a gym living in New York City. <laughs> I was a dancer growing up. Running was not a thing. Running, I hid from the mile in gym class. Like Meb has this great story about like being so motivated and, and gifted in school and getting that t-shirt. I was the opposite. I hid under the bleachers and was like, do not call on me. Do not. No, absolutely not. Uh, so no, running was not part of my life. And then I moved to New York City right out of college to pursue a job in magazine publishing. And a fun thing about magazine publishing, especially in 2007, is you basically got paid in pennies. So I was living in Manhattan getting paid in pennies and I couldn't afford a gym. I couldn't afford to do all the fun little fitness classes that I wanted to do. And my roommate at the time, who I met on Craigslist and is still now one of my very best friends. So Craigslist success stories, they're out there. She was a runner. She had all these medals on her wall. And I remember going in and being like, are you like a heavyweight champion? Like, are those necklaces? What am I looking at here? Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I had never heard the phrase half marathon. I couldn't tell you. I get so mad when people are like, they're like, my coworker asked how far my marathon was. I'm like, the average person does not know how far a marathon is. <laughs> like, 
Why would anyone know that? Um, so I didn't know. And she was like, I'm a runner. And I was like, by choice? What do you mean? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I go for runs. I leave here and I run down the FDR drive and back and I enjoy it. And I was like, that makes no sense. I'm going to try it. And so <laughs> I got started. We lived on 102nd Street and 1st Avenue and I would run right out our door and I would run for like 30 seconds and be very tired because I didn't know what pacing was. And I gradually said, I'm going to go to that lamppost and then that lamppost. And then I made it to the dog park at Carl Scherz Park, which is exactly a mile from our apartment. So I built up. And then my first race ever was the, oh gosh, I'm going to botch the name. At the time, it was the Fitness Mind, Body, and Spirit Games four-miler in Central Park. And I'm pretty sure, I didn't wear a watch at the time, but I'm pretty sure my first mile was probably like a 7.30 and I would guess my last mile was like a 14.10. <laughs> so not so, so much of a negative both, splits there. Yeah, you Both respectable paces, but not in the order you want them. No. Uh, but yeah, it, but I loved it. That night I went out, celebrated like I had just won the New York City Marathon and signed up for a half marathon after a couple drinks. So- well, that's running though, Ali. Um, I remember my brother who ran cross country in high school as a sophomore, and he just went out hard and crashed and walking. But that's, that's, you know, people think running is easy or, but we as elite athletes sometimes make it easy when we train a hundred miles or 130 miles. But the thing they have to understand is like your story. You make it the next pulse. You take it up out of the block. You make it the next mile. And then you learn the phrases, negative split and things like that. Pacing is important. But how was the next day for you? Soreness wise or mental, uh, it's like I did it. Or what was that like after the run? Yeah, like Give me more. Um, no soreness because I think I only probably ran for 30 seconds. Like I don't think I even gave myself the opportunity to be sore. But I was I was hooked. I like the idea of a a literal goalpost or a lamppost and something to beat of okay, yesterday I ran to that one. Tomorrow I'm gonna run to this one. So yeah, I was hooked. It was hard. And I, there was something about it that I liked. I think I also just liked being outside. I liked waking up and starting my day that way with the sunrise over the East River. So yeah, it, was, um, it wasn't easy, but I loved it. And eventually we went for a run in Central Park and that was like game changer. How was the people there? Did you see many people or what time of the day did you run in Central Park? So we went after work that night, my roommate and I, because I didn't know how to run in Central Park. And so she was my little tour guide. And I think we did probably the four mile loop in the park. And then it was amazing. It was dark by the time we finished and we finished on Fifth Ave and we sat down on the steps at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And we still talk about it, that we sweat on the Met. And we just sat there and we were like, oh my God, this is like Gossip Girl. <laughs> Gossip Girl was very big at the time. And we were like, oh my God, we are Blair and Serena right now. <laughs> um, we were nothing like them, to be clear, but in our minds, we were. And it was it was magical. It was like the quintessential New York night in the fall, running in the park, and then sitting and being like, we just did that. And that was awesome. There is something magic about running in Central totally. Park on a perfect night. I had a night like that last week. I actually went out with the New York Roadrunners group training group. And it was just one of those nights, perfect skies, no humidity. The crowd was, the, the place was packed. Like you could barely oh. run a straight line. There were so many people, even on the bridle path. But, you know, those nights are special. Allie, 
when did it first occur to you to run the New York Marathon? Oh, okay. So <laughs> it first occurred to me in 2011. Um, I spent, I had gotten pretty hooked on running at that point and I was training for my first marathon, which was the Hamptons marathon. And in the process of training, I was of course running lots of roadrunners races. And so I did nine plus one in 2011. So I'm doing all my races. I did all nine. I volunteered actually at the New York City Marathon Expo, handing out bibs, which was so fun. Highly recommend a, people a do that. A plum assignment. Yes, a really good one. Yeah, it was a really good one. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did that. I'm so excited. And then 2012 was, okay, awesome, great. This is my year. I'm running the New York City Marathon. And it was 2012. Not so there was, much. There was no New York City Marathon in 2012. Um, that was Superstorm Sandy that year. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. It was a wild time. And I lived on the Upper East Side at the time. And my friends were in town. My friends had traveled in because we were all going to run it. And I watched the press conference on the news like a lot of people. Uh, you know, everyone was just kind of waiting and unsure. And I, 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 like so many, it was a lot of conflicting emotions of this is the right thing to do and we need to show up for the people who've been affected by this storm and, and trust in the city officials who know what they're doing. And it's okay to be bummed as a runner and a human that like, oh man, I did put in the training. You know, that doesn't make us bad people of saying we, you know, it's just like if you get, it's not just like, but when you get sick or injured before a race and you can't do it, it's like, man, I put in the work. I wanted to see it come to fruition. I think it's a, it's a complicated thing with a lot of emotions. And um, yeah, I, I reflect on that a lot, I think, because it comes up often in conversations and I've had the privilege of Mary becoming one of my very, very good friends and talking to her about it. And uh, just a, a tough, a tough time for everyone. And 2013 was awesome. In 2013, I got to run my first New York City Marathon because we had the option to come back and run it the next year. And so 2013, it was like, okay, this is the party that we've been anticipating for two years now. It was like, they just let us all loose on the streets of New York City. And so my, my first New York City Marathon experience was absolutely incredible and i i loved it it wasn't easy it never is but i i loved it it's the best day of the year volvo cars is proud to be the official vehicle of the 2023 tcs new york city marathon leading the way as the official pace car is the new volvo ex30 this small fully electric suv is designed to be safe for people and the planet with a smaller co2 footprint than any volvo car ever before to celebrate, Volvo is offering a special offer on the purchase or lease of a new Volvo that's just for runners who complete the TCS New York City Marathon. Visit Volvo Cars Manhattan Studio after the race for a complimentary metal engraving, a photo with the official pace car, and to learn more about how you can claim your discount for your next Volvo. That's a great offer from the friends that we've got over at Volvo. All right, it's time now for what has been one of the most exciting parts of Set the Pace, our 2024 TCS New York City Marathon giveaway. This is going to be your last chance to gain entry via our podcast sweepstakes, so be sure to like, follow, and subscribe the podcast 
so you don't miss your chance to gain a coveted complimentary entry into the marathon next year. There are not many of those going around. Okay, last week on episode six, you heard from the race director of the TCS New York City Marathon, Ted Metellus, who was the race director for the first ever New York City Marathon back in 1970. You have until October 18th to send your answer along with a screenshot proving that you've subscribed to Set the Pace and left a rating to the email address nyrrpodcast at nyrr.org. That's nyrrpodcast at nyrr.org. A winner will be randomly selected on Thursday, October the 19th. All rules surrounding the sweepstakes are available at nyrr.org slash set the pace. So I'm not sure if we met beforehand, but I guess we ran the same race there in 2013, uh, TCS New York City Marathon. But it makes you appreciate uh, my greater. When you are injured, you don't take things for granted. And when Hurricane Sandy happened, 2013 was a celebration. And I was not the race I wanted to have. I was struggling. You know, we talk about on your show, Ali on the Run show, how my pace is. But that mile 19 to 20 took me 10 minutes. But the importance of getting to the finish line is important because the 2012, so many people came over to run the race, didn't get the race. The bombing happened in 2013 in Boston. My dad walking over 225 miles from Eritrea to Sudan to save his life. So kind of reflection time and said, hey, I can't run the pace that I want to go run, but I'm going to get to the finish line. So how is that overcoming adversity in life and marathon helping you overcome adversity nowadays? Yeah. I mean, everything ties back to the marathon. It's like the number of people this summer that have been like, Allie, what you're going through is like a marathon. Um, and it totally is. And it bodes well for me because I do prefer the endurance to the fast stuff. I am no sprinter. So, uh, I do think about it all the time. For example, I am starting chemotherapy soon and I, as they were telling me what my regimen was going to be and what it was going to entail, I just kept thinking, okay, if this were a marathon, I would break it up into four parts, right? I'm doing four rounds of chemo. So if I were running a marathon, it's this is the first five miles. And then the second that my math is not correct, because I know that 26.2 divided by four is not five. But I think about it. I think about it in, in so many things that I do of coming back to the marathon, coming back to endurance, coming back to needing to stick it out to the finish and knowing that there's going to be miles that are great and there's going to be miles where I slow down and there's going to be miles that are out of my control. And all I can do is keep moving forward to get to the finish line. It's like, it sounds so cheesy and I find a lot of comfort in it. No, it's not cheesy. It's just what life is. You go through disappointments, uh, you get through injuries and setbacks, but at the same time, you got to monitor what you can control and have a team behind the team. So I know you're going, like you mentioned, you're going through chemotherapy, but you have to believe who are the team in you that believe the best version of yourself. As you know, I say run to win, that's getting me in first place by getting the best of yourself every time and each time. Who's your team? How are you looking forward to that? Oh my gosh, my team's amazing. I have felt so incredibly supported throughout these past few months. Uh, I joke that when I shared my diagnosis, which was June 6th, shared it on Instagram in a podcast episode just to kind of like rip that Band-Aid off, make it real, let people let people know. And uh, within 24 hours, my house <laughs> looked like a funeral home. There were so many flowers. It was uh, so many 
cookies, so many kind cards and meals showing up. And it's funny that that was all then because I was like, oh, I I don't even have surgery yet. Like I'm fine right now. Uh, But just the outpouring of support and kindness. Uh, Meb, you called me that day to talk to me, which was so nice. And just everyone like it i i felt so supported by the people that i work for by the team at roadrunners by the people i work with in boston just people are really good and nice and kind and um you know as i get ready to start chemotherapy and those days are going to be long and hard my my team that i've set up to come with me cuz i'm you know you you have one person with you in the room during the infusions and it's all my running people. And in the days after surgery, uh, Mary Wittenberg and Christine Burke from New York Roadrunners, they drove up. They drove so many hours to come and be here as I was going through surgery and and recovering and just helping out. And of course, I'm so lucky to have my family and people close to me. It's nice to live in the same town as my parents. So I have felt unbelievably loved and supported. And I'm not going to lie to you. It is really cool to get random messages from professional runners. Um, You know, like, Meb, I know we're friends, but like, you called me that day and that was so nice. And I'm getting messages from like, Emma Coburn. And that's just like, it's so cool. It's so nice. And, you know, it makes it kind of fun. Um, I had had Chelsea Clinton on the show a couple months ago to talk about running the New York City Marathon. Um, And I got a letter from her, which again, I know that's probably like her team that did it, right? She wasn't like, oh, Allie, I follow you on Instagram. But like, I got a letter from Chelsea Clinton wishing me well in my cancer journey. And I was like, I don't want cancer, but I'm going to hang that on my wall. That's cool. Uh, So just I, my message to people in that would be send the message. Like if you know someone who's going through a hard time and you're like, I don't know what to say or whatever, like it doesn't matter because hearing from people is the best, the best feeling. It means the world. I mean, I remember when I called you, we expressed our gratitude and how life is. And you related to, you know, through the good times and bad times, you related to when President Barack Obama called me, you felt, you felt that moment, yeah. you know, it's just, <laughs> but you do so much for the sport you're loved and cared for. And one, you say, I mean, I just said, I heard the news. I'm like, I'm going to call her. And so even Chelsea Clinton, her team might have done it, but she might be her idea. So she, I'm pretty sure she said, hey, we need to do this for Ali because it, we know the, the meaning of phone calls. I remember Coach Joe Vijo just says, once a week, you should make somebody because you can make somebody make a difference. And, and that letter, I'm pretty sure, means so much to you and others' texts or kindness for the runners that brings to you. And uh, we are grateful for you, your happiness and uh, to this journey. You know, life is a journey, isn't You know, tough decisions, uh, hard work, but, you know, dig it within yourself. How are you digging within yourself to say, hey, I got this, but I know every day is not like that. What are, you know, sometimes the subconscious and things like that uh, as we move to the future for you has been? Yeah, it's um, it's kind of letting myself feel all the things, which historically I've not enjoyed doing. I like to just keep really busy and keep my head down and keep working and keep doing what I need to do. And this is the first time in my life that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I didn't put out any podcast episodes. And I hate that because I have sponsors who are supporting the show and I have listeners that I want to share stuff with and and I want to be me and do that. But it it just was at a point where I was just like, I can't, I can't do it. Um, you know, it's been a hard summer on the mental health front, which is, you know, always a work in progress. But I finally was just like, 
give yourself a break. And there have been days where I've sat in bed and watched Netflix all day. I've watched the worst that Netflix has to offer. There is some real garbage on there. Uh, I've watched it. So especially in the surgery recovery, you know, they say six weeks, no running. I took that very seriously. I did not run. I ran on the exact day that it was six weeks, but I took that seriously. And I'm trying to be really smart and intentional during this time of like recover from the surgeries. During chemo, like there's going to be days that you probably don't feel well. Let yourself not feel well. And so just trying to sort of temper my expectations, that is not an easy thing for me to do. I'm not that person. I have high expectations. But uh, just kind of trying to see where the day takes me. And one thing that I think about a lot too is I always used to say, to not judge a run by the first mile because you can have a great run. You just need to get that first mile out of the way. Or you can have a terrible run if your first mile feels great. You just don't know. So trying not to judge a run by the first mile, but also not judging an entire day by how I feel when I wake up. Some days I wake up and I feel like, man, I'm bummed that this is how my summer has played out. And other times I wake up and I feel great and stuff hits harder later in the day. It's just, I'm a planner and this is throwing a wrench in my ability to plan things. So... Yeah, yeah, to say the least. Yeah, it's a, no, nobody plans for what you're going through. Yeah. And it's, you know, tests your, you know, like Meb talks about a lot of the time, we talk about his marathons and running. And, you know, you got to plan at the starting line sometimes. And then five miles, 10 miles, 20 miles in, guess what? It's time for a new plan, right? <laughs> whatever, whatever it was you thought you were doing in that race is out the window. And you got to adjust your goals, adjust what you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, that's what you're doing. A Ali, I was thinking about you as a journalist a little bit, um, and that's what you are. You know, that's how you came to be Allie on the run. And journalists never like to be the story. You yeah. know, they, they love <laughs> getting other people to tell their stories, and you do such a good job of that on your podcast, getting folks to open up and talk about their journeys. And how has all of that work you've done? you know, getting into other people's life stories uh, helped you or how have you called on that at all in now going through a period where, you know, you're, you're a little bit the story, right? You had, a, you had a podcast on, you know, one or two podcasts where you talked about you and what's happening with you. How has, how has that sort of affected you and the way you've approached this? Yeah, I don't love it. <laughs> I like being on the other side. I want to ask you guys questions. So, yeah, it's, but also I am, I've always just been someone who shares and overshares. Uh, when I share stuff on Instagram, it's not planned. It's like, oh, I just feel like writing something right now, or like, oh, I took a photo that I like. I feel like sharing it. So that stuff to me is just kind of who I've always been. I've always been a big journaler, diary writer, a lot of diaries back in my elementary and high school days. So, that the the sharing part to me comes pretty naturally. Um, the other people being interested in it is what's weird. Like I I know I have metrics. I know how many people listen to the show, and I will never be in a point where I'm like they're listening for me. They're like they're listening for the guests. There's great guests and great stories on the show, and it's my job to share those. So yeah, that will never sink in for me. Uh, I still even though I've been proved wrong so many times, uh, whenever I do a live event, I'm still convinced no one's going to show up or no one's going to be there. And, you know, yeah, 
I, there's plenty to unpack there, I'm sure. But yeah, being the story is weird. Like Runner's World wrote a story after I shared that podcast episode that was like, podcaster Allie Feller announces that she has breast cancer. And I was like, announces feels feels generous of a term. Uh, and as the writer of that story, who is someone that I really respect, uh, Sarah Lorge Butler, she's phenomenal. And she said, she was like, you are an influential person in the sport and therefore this is news. And I was like, that's weird, but okay. Um, and she wrote a beautiful piece and it was very nice. So yeah, that part to me is, I guess weird is the best way to describe it. I'm also just like, I'm not doing anything exceptional right now. And I'm not saying that to downplay anything. I People love to say like, Allie Feller is fighting breast cancer. I'm actually not. I'm, I'm literally just doing what my doctors tell me. I'm like showing up for surgery and I'm recovering. I, you know, to me there, I'm not... People have been through much worse and much scarier and are doing really amazing things. I am following doctor's orders and and hoping for the best. And I have been in a position in the work that I do to share some of those really inspiring stories and scary stories and stories of people who have really fought through adversity. And I don't see myself as being in that position. I see this as the really hard part of my life that will eventually be a blip on my radar. And I kind of have to just keep that perspective going that like a year from now, life's going to look really different. I'm kind of in, I I hope I'm in the thick of it right now. And I look back and it's like, ooh, that was a crazy summer. I know you might not be in that point right now, but in the future, how do you see yourself? Hey, I have to accept this. Or when is it? You know, what drives you inside? Was it Annie, you know, or Brian or other things? Tell us a little bit about your family, how that driving force, you want to do the right thing. Yeah, it, I mean, Annie every day. It's uh and and if, actually our mutual friend Chris Heisler told me early on in this he was like Annie will get you through this and Annie is uh my daughter. She will turn 5 on October 16th and I which is me being like she's 4, but I'm not ready to say she's almost 5. Uh she yeah, she is everything. She is my reason. She is my why. She is the reason to keep fighting. She is the reminder that I can wallow in bed for a long time, but not all day because my daughter needs me. And my daughter doesn't just need me today. My daughter needs me forever. Uh, I had a conversation with my surgical oncologist at one point where you know we've talked about this and it is stage one. And so I already had surgery. And I was kind of like, well, if I was stage one and I had surgery and you got it out, why do I need chemo? And she explained to me why. And I just kind of sat there and I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do chemo. And I was like, is that an option for me not to do it? Like, do I need, how bad do I need this? And she looked at me and she was like, Allison, you're a 38 year old mom. She's like, do it because you have a daughter and she needs her mom forever. So I was kind of like, okay, no further questions. Sign me up, whatever I need to do. Like it was, it was this reminder that like this is bigger than me, that this is, yes, this is a thing I'm going through, but this is, it's not just me going through it. There's a lot of people going through this with me. And so yeah, Annie is the constant reminder to do what I need to do and take care of me while taking care of her. And again, lots of people do that. And I've, I've 
connected with a lot of really amazing women going through this who are moms of young kids. And I hate that we can bond over this and share this, but they're out there and they're doing it. And it's a good reminder that I can do it too. All right, Allie, I'm going to let this lighten up a little bit because I know we don't want to talk for the whole podcast about what's happening (laughs) as much as we care about you and others do as well. But I want to take this opportunity to get a little advice from you um, on how to do an unbelievable podcast. I mean, you have you are one of the very few people who has been able to achieve something which is a successful long-running podcast that is actually like your job, right? I mean, I know you do other things, you're a broadcaster, but I mean, you've you've kind of done the the nearly impossible, right? Is is to create a successful podcast about a relatively niche topic. I mean, a lot of people run but a running podcast as successful as yours, not an easy thing to pull off. So how did you do it? I love it. I think that's the biggest thing. I am. I, I try to say I'm curious, but it's like I'm nosy. And that's really what it is. I love it. I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories. I love listening. I love connecting. Connection has always been a huge pillar for me. That's always been a word I come back to. And so... I I genuinely love it. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's parts of my job that I don't love. Like no one's like, oh, you know what I'm going to do today? Send invoices and update my QuickBooks. Like there's always going to be stuff that's not fun. But uh, I love the work that I get to do. I love the people that I get to do it with. I love the opportunities it's afforded me. And I love hearing from people who say that the show has in some way changed their lives. Like they've connected with someone through it or they've felt less alone or they've felt seen or they've felt connected to the running community or they've started following professional running. That was such a big thing was the the 2020 Olympic trials, the marathon in Atlanta. So many people were like, hey, Allie, a year ago, I couldn't name three professional runners. And now I'm on a girl's trip in Atlanta in February to watch a marathon like because of your show. And I think that's so cool. I think that the athletes who make this sport what it is, the professionals to the back of the pack are, everyone has a story. And I just think that's that's a really powerful thing. I think about that a lot on Marathon Day when there's 50,000 runners. Every single one of them has a reason that they signed up for this race, and it's a different reason. Even if it seems similar, that to me is such an amazing and powerful thing. People that are out there changing their lives, bettering their lives, working through some stuff on the run. I just, I can't shut up about running, so I made a job out of it. <laughs> and, Good for you. Know, that, yeah, I mean, that's the idea, Allie as to why we're doing this podcast. I mean, I I basically came into this role and I said, you know, we have 50,000 stories showing up in Staten Island at the start of the TCS New York City Marathon. We got to at least be able to tell like one a week, right? I mean, there, there's there's just an insane number of them and we we can't tell them all, but we can tell one a week, right? And And do it well. And so that's what you've done. When you think about your audience when you when you do your podcast who do you picture who do you think is is your audience who 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 what kind of person do you think of as the person who is an alley on the run listener 
Uh, I don't know that this is the correct response, but I think of myself. I think of someone who started running as a hobby, as an adult, who is a mom in her 30s and loves to run and takes it seriously uh, to the extent that it's something that they, we, I love and it matters to them and they're willing to let it matter to them. I think it's common to diminish our hobbies or say, oh, I don't have time for it or I don't want to make time or I I shouldn't or I should be with my family 24 hours a day. And I think it's it's not just okay. I think it's important to to let yourself do the thing that you love in a way that serves you. And so, yeah, I do. I mean, I've done so many demographic surveys and audience surveys over the years. So I do have a, a pretty good idea of who I'm talking to. But it, I'm always, I'm continually surprised. I was out a couple weeks ago. I was out with my daughter. We were at Target. And two different guys came up to me in Target and were like, oh no, I'm sorry. One was at Target. One was at Sam's Club. Being like, are you Allie on the run? And I was like, I am. And they were like, I'm a fan, like separately in Concord, New Hampshire. And I was like, this is wild because I think I still, and I know it is a very uh, female uh, women focused audience. I do a lot on motherhood and uh, most of my guests are women, but um, I'm always surprised. Well, your work speaks volume, and I'm pretty sure. I also, when I uh, when I go to places, races, I say, "Hey, I heard you on Ali and the Run, uh, Ali and the Run show." And so, <laughs> that's your claim to fame, <laughs> right there. You know, do you have? I know you've done over 650 some episodes. Do you have some highlight that maybe one or two live ones, or just episode that you can share with us? Oh my gosh! Well, I have to say, Mev Kaplesky, no. right? I, I got to put that in there. I will say the first live show that I ever did was in San Diego with Meb Kaplesky. I was twenty weeks pregnant. It was with Meb Kaplesky, Andrea Barber, who is Kimmy Gibbler from Full House, uh, Chris Heisler, our mutual friend, and our special surprise guest was Des Linden. Which, like, in what world is Des your surprise guest? That like, it was just, it was awesome. It was so fun. It was my first live event, so. All the live shows are really special to me. I've done some great ones with Kira D'Amato that uh, stand out. Just just fun. Being in live spaces with people gives me just the warmest fuzzies and best energy. And I love that. Nothing beats that. Uh, at the beginning of this year, I recorded an episode with Ellie Kemper, who ran. She is best known as Erin from The Office and the uh, uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And she ran the New York City Marathon last year and I had her on the show and we recorded for two hours because she was so excited that someone finally asked her about running. She was like, I've poured everything into training for this marathon. And then I do these interviews on, you know, like Access Hollywood or whatever, and they want to talk about Hollywood stuff. She was just so excited to talk about running. And so that stands out to me as a recent favorite because she is just a magnetic personality. And that was a fun one. Uh, Oh gosh, it's it's hard. Um, I had Gabe Grunwald on the show back in 2017. Uh, she later passed away from a rare cancer, and I'm just so grateful I got to talk with her while she was here and learn from her and laugh with her and just what a beautiful, beautiful person and good heart. So there have been a lot of emotional ones, the fun ones. I mean, having Chelsea Clinton on the show is cool. Uh, 
And I love the pros. I love the professional athletes in this sport. I love any time I get to talk to Emma Bates. I love getting to talk to Nikki Hiltz. There's athletes that have come back on the show many times over. Des Linden is always a good time. Molly Seidel is always a good time. So I, I love everyone. I think everyone's amazing. And I can't wait to hit 700 episodes, 1,000 episodes and, and keep it going. No shortage of stories, that's for sure. We can't wait either, Allie. We know that you're going to go to 1,000 and well beyond with Allie on the run. You're going to be like episode four or five or something for us. So we appreciate you helping us get set the pace off the ground. We can't wait to see you in New York. You know, I'm sure we'll see you at the expo and all the places. So we're just really excited to to have you here with us and, you know, Gosh, you're you were inspiring enough before. Uh, now it's like you've just taken it to another level, and I know everybody listening wishes you all the best as you go through everything this fall. And we'll see you in New York. All right, let's get to today's Meb Minute. And Meb, today we're talking about PRs, personal records, personal bests. Every runner, at least people who at least consider themselves somewhat serious runners, they're all chasing them. Every finish line I'm at at a roadrunner's race, people are talking about they got their PR, they just missed their PR. It's a big deal for runners, Meb. How should runners think about the personal record? Is it is it something that should be a focus or should it be something that is maybe less focused on so folks can just go out and enjoy their runs? Rob, running is unique. And when you're running with thousands of of, of people, you have your sense of purpose and your so, source of information that you want to achieve great things individually, because if you want to be that next person, you can stride by stride and be that person. But at the same time, you need to write down what your goals are. You'll be able to just put it on paper and say, I want to run the New York City Marathon under five hours. And you want to be able to visualize that in training. When you're training, you want to say, I'm going to uh, Queensboro uh, area or Central Park Hills, how am I looking, visualizing I'm able to be able to finish strong. And then at the same time, on race day, when November comes in, you place yourself on the New York City course. You want to be able to just say, now I've done the work. I know what my goal is. I don't want to be impatient, go out too early. Execute a great plan, and that's what run to win is. It doesn't necessarily mean get the first place, or get, but it does mean to get the best of, out of yourself and the effort. And each individual... Never, they never thought they were runners, but when they come across the finish line, they're all winners because they have accomplished their individual goals, and that's what personal best is. And I think that's one of the best things about running is you get that feedback. You know, you you can see that you improved because the clock tells you you improved, and you know you put in the work, and that sense of accomplishment of getting that PR is what keeps people coming back. They keep chasing it and chasing it, and it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. As a marathoner, I, you know, I do a lot of interaction with runners and they say, hey, this is my first marathon. This is my first time. They're nervous. And I said, well, guess what about the first time doing a marathon is? It's like, they don't know. They're like, what is it? What is it? I'm like, it's a guaranteed PR. You're going to run a fastest time. <laughs> and to your point, they do come coming back. Once you're a runner, you kind of know you can do better, whether it's training, nutrition, or uh, having training partners and things like that. That keeps you come, keep coming back to do better and better uh, and put more miles so you can achieve greater things. Sometimes, like I said earlier, if you want to break five minutes, five hours, you do break it and 458, and then you're like, oh, can I get to the 440s? And so that's what running is. And I think it's a beautiful community. They help each other, support each other to be the best version of yourself. And 
I think personal voice are important and everybody knows. They ask, oh, you don't admit, what's your PR? <laughs> and you want to, it's a bragging right. So whether you are in the middle, front of the pack, middle of the pack, or the back of the pack, you are 26.2 marathon runner, but you have something that you have achieved in your own rights. All right. And Meb, you know, there's days where you can chase a PR and then there's some days it's just not going to be there for you. Maybe it's the weather conditions. Like we had the warm day last year and it just wasn't a day to chase PRs. Maybe it's how you're feeling. So it's great to chase them, right? But you also got to sometimes know today's not the day to chase the PR. You got to go out and enjoy it as well. So there's the kind of two sides to the PR thing. And, you know, that's just running for you. Running, you go through ups and downs, as you said, and sometimes by weather has not been the right condition, allows you to get to that finish line. And you can say, hey, under ideal weather, I could run faster. So make sure when you start something, finish strong, get the best out of yourself. You know, marathon is a challenge, just as life is. Just get to that finish line and know about yourself. On a great day, you could do phenomenal thing. And the other days, getting to the finish line is also a personal record. All right. There's some advice for you guys out there chasing PRs. Today's Med Minute. All right. We've reached the finish line of another episode of Set the Pace presented by New Balance. want to thank Allie Feller. Such a great conversation with her. Uh, love talking to her and can't wait to see her in New York. And also want to send out congratulations to everybody out there who ran the Chicago Marathon. Saw a lot of folks out there who are running Chicago from New York or people who plan to run New York as well as Chicago. So congrats to everybody who took on Chicago. Also, congratulations to the 10,000 or so runners we had in Staten Island this past weekend for the Staten Island half. I was one of them. Saw a lot of you guys at the finish line. So congrats to the Staten Island finishers. Can't wait to see many of you at the finish line of the TCS New York City Marathon as well. Meb and I will see you next week.